I welcome you to another episode of Money Matters Top Tips for Success, where I bring on business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives and have them give their top tips for success to you. Uh, my name is Adam Torres. You can follow me on Instagram, Ask Adam Torres, to keep up with all my book releases, book tour, signing schedule, all that good stuff. Love to connect with you there. And as always, if you'd like to apply to become a co-author of one of my upcoming books, just head on over to the website, moneymatterstoptips.com, and click on Become an Author to Apply. Uh, really excited to have Kilu Sanborn on the line today. She is the Managing Director of Oxford Finance, uh, which handles venture debt and structured debt for biotech, healthcare, and meditech companies. Uh, Kilu, welcome to the show. Hello, Adam. Happy to be here. Thank you. So you have quite an accomplished uh, background in venture capital and in finance, and I do want to get into that, but uh, we, we all know that we all have to start somewhere. So let's just start with, uh, how did you get started? What were your inspirations for getting into business? <laughs> you know, when I first got trained, I actually got trained as a scientist, and I didn't even think about business, but that's because I grew up in Estonia, and it was a Soviet-occupied country back over in northeastern Europe. And becoming a business owner just wasn't something that you would do there because everything was planned economy, right? And then I came to the States and I did my PhD in molecular biology. And about halfway through, I realized I really like science, but I don't want to deal with the test tubes all my life. I'm more interested in projects and building something and people and particularly relationships and sort of the dynamics of what is new that's emerging into the world and then actuating that. And then I was asking myself, well, that's really inconvenient. I, I shouldn't do anything about it, right? And then I couldn't <laughs> not do anything about it. And it was inconvenient because I was here as a kid on a visa. And my visa depended on, you know, doing my science training and doing these and those things. And eventually I said, look, I'm just going to be miserable if I don't do what I feel like I should be doing. Mm. And so I figured I'll go to business school. But it turns out that they charge a lot of money for business school. And so I got into a good school over in, you know, East Coast in New Haven. And I didn't have enough money. And so I said, okay, I'm going to take a sales job because somebody told me that sales is a good way to learn business because everybody else does the important stuff. They give you the products and the support and the background and all of that. And all you got to do is go and see if somebody wants to buy it. And this way you see quickly if you're cut out for business because if you can sell something, then you are. If you can't sell something, well, then maybe you are, maybe you're not. But it's kind of a quick way of seeing if you sink or swim and you can also make money while you do it. And so I took a sales job, and I got very lucky. I got a sales job with a biotech company, which is what my background allowed me, having been a scientist. And it was in the Bay Area, and it basically gave me a license to go into everybody who was doing anything interesting, whether they were all the universities or all the biotech companies, because I was the only rep for the company that at the time had about $50 million in revenues. So that was a really lucky stroke. And then when I was in sales, I realized that I don't want to go to business school. And it wasn't a clear realization. It really was more, I like life. You know, this is good. And so the company pulled me into a spin-out and uh, offered an opportunity to be the first employee and head of business development, kind of Girl Friday, helping to set it up and then, then grow that. And that was just when the genomics boom was starting. And I did that. And then I really fell in love with the whole startup, creating something from an idea and then getting people around it and then having this amazing energy around it. And so that's what happened. And I didn't really even know what venture capital was, but a friend of mine was a VC and I said, you have an interesting job. And he said, yes, I do. And, you know, <laughs> would you like one? And I said, well, in principle, yeah, I didn't really know what it entails. And then a little while later, he lets me know that there's, I was in the Bay Area at the time. And he says, well, there's this group in San Diego and they're looking for an associate. 
And, you know, you should try. And I said, okay. And I didn't hear back for about a month, so I forgot that I had tried because, you know, I wasn't really looking for jobs. And I think that helped. And <laughs> and then it turns out that those guys really liked that I had a technical background, I had sold, I had been with a startup, and I actually had to do some product management because after the startup, I went back to the parent company as head of technology commercialization, which is a fancy way of saying you, you commercialize capacities. But a product manager left, so I had to do product management because somebody needed to launch the stuff that I was supposed to commercialize. And so all <laughs> those different eclectic backgrounds together happened to be a really good fit just for that venture world. And then I did that for five years and became principal and fund manager and then had my first kid. And uh, somebody came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, well, you know, what about venture debt? And I said, what about it? I don't have a finance background and you're in a bank. And they said, well, we've got a lot of bankers who have a finance background and they can do modeling and Excel spreadsheets better than you ever will, which is still incidentally true, but you've done deals and you know biotech and, you know, we'd like someone to do more of that. And so that's how I got into the venture debt side, which is loans to private venture-backed and public companies. And um, loan breaking wow. is less dilutive capital to build equity value. And so that brings us present to now. I've, I've, I've done it in a couple of different context, I got uh, trained at a bank that was excellent at that, and then I went to a uh, specialty finance company, and now I've been with Oxford Finance since 2010, and uh, certainly have enjoyed uh, doing doing the business there. So it, it's been a circuitous route, and couldn't really have planned it, because I didn't know anything about venture debt or venture capital or, frankly, genomics or most of these things when I was growing up, but it's more about seeing opportunity and then feeling it out. Does that feel like that could work? And I, I love it doesn't that. always work, but sometimes it does. I love that. And your story, I have to say, is I've done hundreds of interviews in my life, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, you, you, you remind me a lot of different things that have happened in my life where you're like, why would they? Okay, I guess. Like, I'm, gonna, okay, let's, I'm like, <laughs> yep, I get it, yep. and I understand why you'd want me to, but I'm really up front. Like, I'm like. <laughs> But you do understand that I don't, like, you have that particular background. They're like, yeah, we know. And I'm like, oh, but you still want me to do it? Oh, no. <laughs> that means I have to do it. <laughs> so let's, yeah. let's stay on that for a moment, the power of saying yes, because I, I just, I get that from you. Like, when something's interesting enough or it's, you know, correct, you say yes. So there's a lot of people listening right now that are maybe just graduating college or they're, you know, they're not exactly where they think they should be in their career and maybe opportunities are coming, maybe they're not. Can you just talk a little bit more about that power of maybe, of, you know, saying yes or, you know, kind of learning a new thing? Yeah. I'm a huge fan, and it sounds like you are too, I'm a huge fan of intuition in a, in a particular way where just – if I were to distill it down, and I have been thinking of it because I tried to form, you know, make it a little more formulaic, because, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you know, otherwise you, it looks like you have no control. And in some ways you do, and some ways you don't, right? I mean, you show up, and then when these shifts happen, Tuesday looks completely different from how Monday looked, and you had no idea on Monday that Tuesday was going to come, right? I mean, these are those kinds of life shifts. But the common thread for me has been. There's always been a feeling, kind of like a gut feel or a being, beingness feeling, a feeling inside myself that there's an excitement and there's some kind of an expansion. 
and it now I know more about somatics and things that my friends are talking about, you know, in medicine and healing and wellness and those kinds of industries, right? I, I didn't know anything about it, but I think I think it still holds us true. Our bodies and how we feel really tell us kind of what's so and what's true. And so when I start tightening up and I get all contracted and I have a pet in my stomach and you know, my neck and shoulders get heavy. I'm not very um, aware of that usually because it tends to be in my head a lot. I like it in my head. But when I look at what's happening in the body, it really tells me a lot. And so when I get to these choices that I end up saying yes to, that end up being the best choices, usually there is this wave of recognition or this this almost a physical sensation of, wow, this is really good. I want to be part of that or there's something there. And then my mind starts backpedaling and saying, well, I don't know, you don't have the background and you don't know anything about it and, and here are all the reasons not to and, and, you know, critically thinking that wasn't part of your past and you don't know anything about these people or, or whatever. And, and a lot of those questions are valid and they're answerable. Mm-hmm. And the ones that aren't answerable probably aren't really that useful, right? And so, you know, mind has its place. But I think for me the common thread really is what's the, what does it feel like? And it's kind of you recognize it. But then I also recognize the teeter-totter, <laughs> the mind mm-hmm. coming in and kind of trying to take it away. And I think it's sad when I let the mind take it away because sometimes I have and I was like, well, that would have been the right thing to do and I didn't do it and I don't like that feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think it's more that than analytics. Analytics can support and diligence can support your decision. But I think the, um, I don't know, it's almost more than a gut feel. It's like your beingness changes. It's like the energy in the room changes. It's like some light turns on. I, I think those agree. are the ones that... And yeah. what I'll also add to that, and, and you tell me if you've noticed it, when you're in that transition, the way you're perceived also changes. So not yes. just your energy, but what happens around you, just different things start happening and you're perceived Absolutely. differently, even even with people you've been around your whole life. Like things are just different. You're like, what? <laughs> you're like, okay, I guess I'm going in the right direction because everything just got different. <laughs> Absolutely. And and Adam, do, do you have this also? I'm sorry, I'm asking questions. Do it. Now, no, but do I'm really it. Please, this. this is fun. <laughs> I, I notice this richness of synchronicities and serendipities that all of a sudden then start showing up when you're kind of in this almost altered reality or altered space and following things. Like all of a sudden the right people seem to show up or else people that you didn't know they're right, but you have breakfast with someone who then says something that you mention at lunch and turns out that was exactly the right thing to say either for you or for the other person. Then that carries on to dinner and to next day and like doors open and that sort of synchronicity machine kicks in. Did you have that? I, I, I completely agree. And you know what I don't attribute it to? And I think people make a big mistake when they attribute it to this. I forget the, the scientific term. There is one. But um, mm-hmm. I, I do I do remember the, the easy metaphor because it's very memorable. So if your friend buys a red car that's a Porsche, whatever yeah, it doesn't that's matter, then yeah. now you yeah. now you see all the red Porsches on the road. So a lot of people yeah. like to attribute that thing to that kind of ideology is that oh no it was always there you just didn't see it which I don't buy that I don't I think it's it's there and when you do see it, it it wasn't always there it has nothing to do with now you see a bunch of red Porsches or a bunch of red cars it's like no yeah. I don't I don't actually believe that because some of the things that are happened they're just so specific that it's just yeah. like nah nah that's that's a one isolated incident uh, like incident and there were literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of individual events that had to lead to that moment. 
that one Honestly, moment. Honestly, I'm with you. I'm with like, you 100%. That, it, I don't speak to that because we don't have that conversation often, right? But really, <laughs> it, it, you know the truth in your bones, right, in some ways, or at least the truth for me in my bones. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Awesome. Well, let's, I, I sorry to get all sidetracked, but I was just having a great conversation with you. Let's talk, <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit more about Oxford Finance. So how do, you, how do you help your clients and what kind of things do you do? Absolutely. So we love to help both private venture-backed companies in life science, medical technology, and research tools, instruments, and diagnostics space, as well as healthcare services space, which is a group adjacent to um, life sciences group. And what we do is we provide loans that are senior-secured loans for companies that are fairly fast-growing. So loans being much less dilutive than equity capital, you can build equity value using debt. And that becomes quite handy if you're growing fast and you don't want to give any more equity than you absolutely need to, but you could use a little bit more money. So as an example, if you're a biotech company and your VC investors fund you, you know, they usually fund you to some value inflection point, some milestone. And then at that milestone, you're celebrating. It's like, yeah, we did it. The clinical trial worked. Everything's awesome. And by the way, you're out of money because you were funded exactly to that milestone. And so if you take some venture debt on top of that, and it's usually, you know, it's not like loans for profitable companies. It's a fraction of the equity, not a multiple of the equity. But if it gives you enough runway, it gives you a couple months to a quarter. All of a sudden, you now buy time. And you buy time to create more of an auction of opportunities. So your next round, um, you have a lot less pressure. You get more leverage because you still have cash. You're not totally out. So whoever the next funders are, whether it's, more VCs or strategic partners, or, you know, you go out to public markets, markets willing, you have the luxury of time. Another way you would use that debt is if you bring in additional programs, you license in something, or you buy another company. And so to sort of smooth that transaction and uh, not have to use equity dollars, or if you have additional indications that you weren't thinking of any of the equity around, but meanwhile, Let's say you're a biotech company, you do science. Well, science uncovered that you should also try this and this and this. Mm -hmm. But guess what? You didn't raise for that. So debt is really good for that. Because debt folks like us, we actually really love when there's an underlying diversification of the pipeline of opportunities. So even if one doesn't work, well, there's still something else that, that you know might work and holds value. So we do enterprise loans. We look at the whole enterprise and from the perspective of, okay, well, there's a plan A and there's a lead program, but maybe there's a few other programs or some other scenarios. And if plan A doesn't work, because as lenders, we always look at the downside. We, we kind mm -hmm. of underwrite too well, and then things didn't work out. And if plan A doesn't work, is there a plan B? And at the points of highest risk, does that make sense? And if it does, then what's the number that makes sense? And then does that number get you anything? Because if it gets you a couple of weeks, then you're wasting your time and my time. But if it gets you a quarter, now we're talking, because it's valuable to you. You can build equity value. You can have strategic value in terms of having more leverage to be across the table from somebody with deeper pockets. And all of that translates to your equity value goes up. And then we sleep better at night, too, because your equity value goes up while our credit quality goes up. Mm -hmm. So we're you know, even happier about getting repaid. And so our portfolio is about $2 billion worth right now, and it's about, I'd say, 150 companies, give or take. Unlike VCs, we can't really count exact number. I mean, we can, but it changes because people mm -hmm. keep paying back and they keep getting sold and, you know, business happens. But mm -hmm. roughly, it's about that order of magnitude. And the typical loans that we do, since we don't work with seed stage or, you know, ser typically Series A 
types of companies. It's maybe companies that have raised 20 to 30 million and, you know, rarely less. And typical loans are maybe 10, 15 to 50 million, although we can hold 150 million on our own balance sheet and we can go higher in syndication. There's just less companies that you would do that for, although we have and we continue to. But so that's sort of a general overview of how you use the debt and the types of debt that we place to the kinds of companies, maybe Series B and beyond. Oftentimes, Mm -hmm. especially in the current markets, if a company is looking to going public and doing an IPO, then bringing in engaging venture debt as a support of the balance sheet makes a lot of sense. And then after the IPO, you can probably take some more and then you can modulate as a public company when you take equity, when you take debt, because of the Maybe there's a market perception of overhang because you need more money if something works or, you know, whatever the market pressures are, you can take some of that off with the debt. You just can't overlever and that's, I'm not too worried about it because we're quite good at figuring out what's the right amount and, you know, what's too much. <laughs> so we use structure to mitigate that. So we, let's say we start with a smaller amount of close, but then you meet a milestone and only after that milestone, let's say it's a clinical trial that works, you know, then you need to expand the patient population. You spend more money. Well, okay, then you need the money. Then you have access to that extra money. And you don't take it all at close, and you also don't pay interest before you need it. So structure really helps to grow into a bigger loan and at the same time helps to keep the leverage appropriate for each stage of the company. And if somebody – so if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking about um, – and what, what and they want to contact Oxford, um, what's the best route for them to get a hold of you guys? I think the easiest is just look at the website, and it's it's not very surprisingly OxfordFinance.com, and then you can you can look at our recent financings to see who we have funded and what those companies look like, and you can also look at um, you know who are the people that you can contact, and uh, myself included, and we are listed there, and you can just uh, give us a call or send an email, and you know always happy to have a conversation, see if we can be a resource. Well, wow, that's great. Well, Kilo, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show today and teaching us more about your background, your views, and also what you're doing over at Oxford Finance. Uh, So thank you for that. And to the listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave reviews, all that other good stuff we do to support our podcasters. Appreciate it. And uh, have a wonderful week. And thank you again, Kilo. Take care. Thank you.